You're listening to a sermon from New Harvest Church in Salem, Oregon. We believe that you were created for connection to Christ and a community of his followers. This sermon is an extension of our desire to become more like Christ by engaging God's word within our weekly gatherings. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about New Harvest and our ministries at newharvestch.org. Well, welcome to New Harvest. I'm so glad you're here this morning. This is kind of an in-between Sunday as we have Thanksgiving holiday and then the Sunday comes pretty quickly and people are pretty much on the go and maybe traveling, various things, so that you're here. I'm glad that you're here and you at home, I'm so glad you're with us too. So welcome this morning, the first Sunday of Advent. And when it comes to Advent Conspiracy, many of you know that title. You've seen us practice Advent Conspiracy the last few years. Um, several years, really, and we like to do that because we think that in our world there's this craze about Christmas and, so to speak, Jesus gets lost in the shuffle and we don't want that. That's the last thing we want. So we want to have some intentionality, something that will help us to remember what's most important at Christmas time, and here here we go. We're going to do Advent Conspiracy, and it's been kind of an every, every other year rhythm for us as we focus on maybe a a very intentional, um, evident need in our community. And then we realize that there's lots of needs around the world, and we want to be aware of that. And we know that God has a heart for the world, and so we want to also. And so last year, we helped with the wildfires. And and three years ago, we... um, I can't remember what we did three years ago. <laughs> it was really good, though. Anyway, uh, two years ago, we, we drilled a well in India, and we raised enough money to drill a well and a, a, well and a half, so another uh, donor uh, filled it in, and so that's pretty cool. Well, I did some research as I was talking to the elders about, really, this year, and I found a, a place on the globe that's not very far away, but is in desperate need. I mean... Like the biggest need for something as simple as clean water on the globe. I didn't realize that, that the fewest amount of people percentage-wise have access to clean water in this particular country. And it's probably connected to the earthquakes that they've had and the assassination of their president and the, the pervasive poverty they, they uh, endure day after day after day. 43% of Haitians do not have access to clean water and we could help with God's so abundantly um, providing for us we can provide for others and so our Advent conspiracy focus this year is on Haiti and digging a well in Haiti for a village there that may minister to 50 to 100 families what a what a blessing like all the people that call New Harvest their home, we would, we would one-on-one be able to bless them with clean water. And it, it would be our contribution uh, in the name of Christ through Living Water International. So that's the plan. You can put Advent in your memo line in the check or you can go online. We have a special category for Advent, Advent Conspiracy on the online giving on our website all the way down. Scroll down to the giving button and you're set to go. So that's, that's Advent Conspiracy. Along with the, the heart of generosity for Advent Conspiracy is we have our angel tree. 
And it's, it's always our desire to minister to about 100 children of, of, that have an incarcerated parent. We represent the parent in a way that connects them together. It's such a gracious way to make a difference in a child's life. So Angel Tree, uh, when I went back there before the service, there were 28 angels left out of the 100 that we started with. So that's good. That's really good. And uh, yet maybe you didn't get a chance to participate uh, it's there available. I think what I'm going to be doing is maybe emailing our, uh, the, the rest of the body to get a chance of, of connection. I had four emails this week that said, we can't come, but we want an angel. And I sent them all the information, and we can do it that way. So that's another way uh, for you online, because I, uh, we'll just see how long we, uh, you know, what it, what it will be for 28 more angels. All right. Well, and the special brunch for women's ministry and all the ladies in our church and those that we want to invite, it's on the 9th, no, the 11th of December, and it's in the morning at 10 o'clock, and it's free, and it's fun, and it's inspiring, uh, and one of our own is going to share, Debbie, and so it's going to be great. So sign up for that, and, and that'll be on the shelf there in the lobby, and and it'd be great to know, the women's ministry would like to know how many would be coming. So if you can sign up ahead of time, that'd be great. Well, you notice I was spending a little more time on the announcements. I was really getting a lot of words in there about those announcements because I might not have as many words for what I'm about to say. <laughs> I got a text message this morning from our brother Steve, and he said he's very, very sick. Yeah, and he had told me that he had been feeling well, and he was really thinking he was on the mend, and then a text message this morning at 6.30, oh, I can't do it, I hate it, I can't do it, I'm sorry, Barry, I owe you, whatever. And so, you know, there is something about being the senior pastor, this is when you get to do these kind of things, you know. And uh, I have a pretty long file of, of uh, material <laughs> since I've been doing this, oh, whenever. Anyway, so I'm glad to share with you, and I have something to say, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it will be helpful. It's so interesting that the topic this morning, as Craig introduced so well, is peace. I think I need a little of that. <laughs> as I'm sitting in the chair, my leg's going like this, like this, and my wife goes, peace. Peace on my leg. As I'm, uh, that's just something I do anyway. So it's uh, that's pretty normal. But peace. What a what an important topic. If you had to pick a topic, in fact, that's what we let Steve do. We were talking about Advent and these four Sundays in Advent, leading up to Christmas Eve and the Christ-centered Christmas Eve that we're going to share. Um, he got to pick first because he was going to. It was his his. Uh, the plan was for him to speak this morning. So he got to pick first. And we went, you know, Steve, and, and Tyler was about, about the conversation. We have, there's uh, hope and joy and peace and love. That They're traditional, foundational, great um, qualities that God gives us at Christmas that represented what it means to us to have Jesus come. And he picked peace. <laughs> he did. Can you blame him? I mean, everybody, if you had those four words, I bet you would pick the same one. You'd say, I, you might not want to speak on peace. <laughs> you might, wanna, well, might not want to do what I'm doing, <laughs> for sure. But I bet you would say, I, I'd like some peace. I, I need some more peace. Uh, really, peace is kind of a rare commodity in our world today, right? We feel like there's so, uh, such a lack of peace and so why wouldn't we hunger for peace and want more of peace? Well, one of the most uh, well-known scriptures about Christmas 
has this announcement of, uh, about peace. And it's in uh, Luke, 4, 4, uh, Luke 2, 14. And the angels are singing and uh, praising God. And it says, glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We know that one, right? King James Version. And peace on earth. And that, that just rings out like, that's right. Christmas is so much about peace and wanting peace and needing peace. And yet the whole world is like... That's like not a part of the There's wars everywhere. There's been wars since the foundation of the world and the tension and, and the um, kind of the sense of division, argument, anger, angst, no peace, N-O. But today, I'd like us to do K-N-O-W, no peace. I want you to know peace And I want you to see that the Bible through Jesus coming offers us peace and we can live really with a sense of deep peace. Well, there was a mall survey about um, just peace and some of the, you know how they do the interview, they go around, where would you like to see peace this Christmas? And uh, some of the quotes were, if people were more peaceful, maybe they wouldn't be so rude. <laughs> that, was, that was one of them, Eric. You probably think that. Honestly, if I don't find peace soon, my marriage will be over. Now, that's pretty serious, but a reality. Uh, how about this one? I need peace in my mind and my heart or I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> yes. That, that thing. And, and I made up one. If I was a, get, getting there, peace seems like a word that I would use to dis, the. <laughs> I better read my notes. The least, like the least word I would use to describe life right now, like the word that would be the farthest from the truth right now. And then another, I'd like to see peace everywhere, of course. You know why? Because peace is such a full word. I mean, the English word doesn't have quite the depth and body to it that the Bible has when it comes to peace. We have the Hebrew word shalom, and uh, the word in the Greek doesn't matter, but it's fuller than our word is what I'm suggesting, like well-being and contentment and harmony and fulfillment and security. How about those? Could you take that in? Well-being, contentment, harmony, fulfillment, and security. I'll sign up for that. How many of you want that kind of peace? Me too. Me too. So we want to, in this series, take a text from the prophecies of the Old Testament that point us to Jesus' coming, his first coming, and use that as kind of looking back at how the prophets helped us to see the significance of Jesus' coming, the Messiah, and point us forward to what it could mean for us still today. And so the first one is in Micah. This morning, our Old Testament text, very familiar, I think you'll agree, Micah chapter 5. And guess what? This is the text that Steve was going to use. So this is the only thing you're going to get to see on the screen that matches what I'm about to say. We could put all the rest of the things up. You could look at your notes and see, boy, Steve had a pretty good message made there. So we got to do second best here. Okay, so Micah 5, 1 to 5. Is it just it, it's kind of fascinating because Micah wrote this um, early 700 BC, 
before that. Like, it had to be before 722 B.C. because that's when the Assyrians took over and they took Israel into captivity, the northern kingdom into captivity. So he wrote this before 722, but people believe not too much before. And here's the first verse. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against you. This is speaking to, you know, the people of God, the Jews, the Israelites. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. That means that the king, whoever he is, is going to be in trouble, and so will all the people. Not a very hopeful statement, really full of intensity, and just like we feel today, that kind of uh, division battling and people against. And But you, verse 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That has to be one of the best verses because it gives this real sense of the, the, the paradox of, first of all, the most significant, really, um, pointing to the line of the Messiah is David, King David. And David was the least likely king. He was, like the, he was the youngest boy in Jesse's family, and he just was small, kind of uh, <laughs> handsome, but small. And uh, yet God takes the unlikely, like Bethlehem, a little uh, obscure town, village, few, uh, really small, a couple hundred people maybe, really, um, and says that this is really going to be the origin of the Messiah. And all the Jews believe this. When they read verse 2 of Micah 5, they said, well, they didn't have verses then, but anyway, they said, this is it. This is what we can know about the Messiah. He will be born in Bethlehem. That, they believe that. They all believe that. You can read Matthew chapter 2 when the Magi talk to some of the scholars in Jerusalem and they say, yeah, it's gonna, the Messiah, the king, the ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. Now look what happens. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. Kind of a, what does that verse mean? Right in the middle, it is promising turmoil from that point on until Jesus comes, until the Messiah comes. And we, re- we talked about that last Sunday. We talked about Daniel saying this would be a time of trouble. There'd be one empire after another after another, and Israel would be, you know, jerked this way and that way and thrown this way and that way. Insignificant, really. And in great difficulty, here's verse 3 that talks about that kind of a challenge. Until she who is labor bears a son. That's what we're waiting for. And what will he be? Verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And this is an amazing verse, because when Jesus comes as the Messiah, he initiates verse 4. We know him as a shepherd. We see his heart as a shepherd. He's very uh, connecting, very caring, uh, a savior for sure. It says that he will reign. He will reign, uh, secure the greatness, reach the ends of the earth. And guess what? We're still waiting for that, aren't we? But it's going to happen. It's in God's word. We know it to be true 100%, right? Like last week, we talked about 100%. 
We know it to be true. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't feel like it. Seems like this will never be true, but it will be true. Hang on to that. And he, verse 5, will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. Boom, and it goes on to verses like that. Now, why do I read those last words? Because they get back to the present kind of um, context where he'll be our peace. He's always going to be the hope of peace that we have when life is difficult and the Assyrians look like they're taking over and we're going to be in captivity forever. No, we won't be in captivity forever. We won't be exiles forever. There'll be a time coming and he will come and the Messiah will arrive and he will come as our savior and yet he will come again as our reigning king. This is Micah, 700 plus years before Jesus came and we have this promise of peace. Don't you love it? This He will be our peace. Do we still believe that? Yes. Jesus is our peace. When it comes to what Jesus is in our lives and our connection with him, there's really nothing that would describe better the sense of what he can do in our lives as he brings peace. That's what I think. And I know that's what you think too. Well, another very significant um, Old Testament prophecy that I don't think any of us are going to do in the next four weeks So I'm stealing it right now. And it's what you know, uh, maybe more than any other Old Testament text. And just listen what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's the declaration of Isaiah in Isaiah 9. It's marvelous. Light has entered into our darkness, and he is the prince of peace. And what does it say in verse 7? Of the increase of his government, which means ruling, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So one of the greatest things to realize and anticipate in heaven is an environment of complete peace. Because that's who Jesus is, and he is is going to be the authority in heaven. We want him to be the authority in our lives right now, but he's not the authority in many lives, but he can be the authority in our lives. So Jesus Jesus pointed, he really did point to peace several times. You know this in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave you, peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus' peace is different and we know it. Nothing, no one can offer us the kind of peace that we experience with Jesus Christ. He said, um, I have said all these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus said that, John sixteen thirty three. So we know that, that um, Jesus, this is, he cares about this, he gives this, and we can experience it. So, um, Before we end today, you're going to be able to have a dose of peace that is going to really be marvelous, reminding you of some, some things you already know. But in a world of turmoil, we can be the most unique people on the globe because we have peace when everybody else is going, what's going to happen next? You know, uh, my family's big into swimming and... The girls love swimming. Uh, 
maybe not at first, but when they got in the water, they really started, uh, they were like fish. And they enjoyed swimming a lot. I didn't have so much when it came to swimming. I didn't have a lot of opportunity, a few lessons and so on like that. I wasn't really much into swimming. All I could do was the Australian crawl. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. That's what we used to call it. Anyway, I can do that still. Uh, But they, my my daughters were really uh, just loved the water, still do. Well, um, I was thinking about uh, swimming and how a couple of times when I was swimming, I had a, a pretty uh, scary experience. Like when I was a kid and I walked out onto a dock, pretty long dock in a lake in Minnesota, and I dove in and I hit my head. Boom! I hit it really hard. And it kind of uh, uh, shook me up a little bit and everything. And I thought to myself, am I okay? And, and I popped out of the water. And I had a sore neck, but that's all. But you know some people that have dove into lakes and pools and everything and hit their neck and wasn't so good. Well, that was one experience. I remember rafting with some guys, rafting down a pretty, pretty uh, intense place in the Deschutes River. And uh, we hit such a wave and jostled this and that, and I was out of the raft. I was out of the raft. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is really good, you know. And uh, I didn't like it because I saw boulders. And I remember how afraid I was. But I got back in the raft pretty quick because everybody else said, get him. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, and then I remember in the ocean, the ocean can be so you know, intense. And uh, you can just kind of like take over these uh, sneaker waves and all that. You know, you know that. Well, you know, what? when uh, people are swimming and they don't know how to swim very well and they get in a situation like... Uh, uh, the rapids or the ocean or whatever, they, and, and they, th- they think they're in trouble, they begin to be, be very afraid. They panic, don't they? They panic. They think they're going to drown, and they, they panic. And when you see them panic, you, you have this impulse. You want to save them, right? You want to try to save them. But I, I learned something from my daughters in that. You can't save them when they're panicked. No, no. When they're really intensely panicked, they, they just, you actually have to let them get so, like, um, close to, to taking in water and everything that they finally settle down, and then you swoop in and you rescue them. You know, isn't that interesting? There's something about that that maybe you need to learn about peace. You see, when we panic, we're not very much in a place where we can receive peace. But if we surrender, let go, trust, we can have the experience of peace. There's really, in my thinking, and this is even in your notes, some ideas about peace. And the first thing that I really thought about with peace had to do with this idea of surrender. It had to do with an idea of um, trust and that kind of thing. It had to do with the fact that so many of us want to save ourselves. So many of us are pretty stubborn. We want to do it on our own. We're like the drowning person, and we insist upon, boom, boom, push, push. But how about first, just experiencing peace? Number one, with the, uh, uh, what I would describe as peace with God. Peace with God. Craig gave us a, a teaser on that. Peace with God is so, it's so much um, uh, the beginning point of peace. It's not the ending point of peace. It's the beginning point of peace. It says that by nature, you and I are hostile toward God. 
and we're, we're, we want it our own way. We're very self-oriented. So much of our, our way of thinking is that I'm going to do it my way, and this is what I care about. And our self-centered, uh, you know, the enormity of our self-centered kind of natural impulse is it gets in way of experience this connection <clears throat> with God, peace with God. And it has to be, this has to be the, the starting point of, of peace is to have peace with God. Remember I told you that verse that's so well known? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's the King James Version. Well, there's been quite a bit of research, biblical research. This is one of the things when I went, first went to seminary I thought was so interesting. Is that why does the NIV translate that very common verse differently? Because later manuscripts, ones that are closer to the connection of the first century came up with a, a different wording to it. It, wasn't, it, it. it didn't have such a universal kind of definition. Peace on earth. No. You remember the NIV? The NIV says this. And on earth, peace to men or people, to people on whom his favor rests. That's the NIV translation. We have peace on earth, goodwill toward men, that seems so universal, but here, this is a very, <laughs> very different translation, quite honestly. On, on earth, peace to people on whom his favor rests. That's saying that people with flailing arms, people that are, you know, I'm going to get my peace when I want it, I'm going to have it my way, have N-O, no peace. But the people that have received God's favor through Jesus Christ, by faith have peace with God. N-K-N-O-W. To know peace because of a connection with God. And Craig took my verse. Romans 5.1. He didn't ask permission, but you know. And it's a great verse. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. That's, that's called justified by faith. Monumental. Therefore, all this... Romans is so often connecting dots. Since we have been made right uh, in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It just stirs up emotion in me because I could never gain it. I couldn't make peace happen in my life. I couldn't say, God, uh, boom, I'm going to be a person of peace. I needed to receive it. I needed it in gift form. It had to be a gracious work. It couldn't be me muscling it out. And here it is. The message by faith. Receiving this grace that leads to uh, peace with God. Connection with God. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, said about Jesus, he would be the path to peace or the bridge to peace. Jesus, the Messiah. It is as if Jesus, you're drowning and they throw a life jacket or a, 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 a life buoy out to you. That's the best way to do it. Because if I ran out and swam to you, you would dunk me under quick. And <laughs> then we'd both be droning. And so, Jesus, the life saver, that's what he is. And you grab on and that's the best way to save people. And that's the only way the Bible says that people get saved. And then they have connection with God. And they have this peace. Saved. Forgiven. 
eternal life, nothing that you could ever produce on your own, given to you, peace with God. That's where it all starts. And if you don't have that, the next stuff won't happen. It's the starting point. So trusting in Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, and receiving him into your life is the bridge to God and peace with God. And there is no other way to experience this foundational, life-changing, eternal peace. But when you do, number two, there's this possibility of peace, the peace of God, the peace of God. And that's different. It's good. It says that what we experience by connection to God kind of can seep into our soul. It can get on the inside, the peace of God. And this is really where, you know, it just kind of starts taking uh, uh, this effect, the fruitfulness of having a peaceful, eternal connection with God is that he comes inside. Now, the, the way about this, the peace of God is not, is not like um, automatic. It's not automatic. It is appropriated. You see, the automatic thing is when you trust Jesus as Savior, you have a connection with God. That's automatic. That's what he says he does. It's, you're, you're at a point of receiving salvation. But the peace of God is actually something you incorporate or, or you, 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 you take in intentionally, like Isaiah said. Isaiah said it really well in 26.3. Are you saying, eh, Steve didn't use that verse. He should have. Anyway, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep God. This is about God. Isaiah talks about God a lot. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. All whose thoughts are... You see, that's intentional. Where are your thoughts right now? Where are my thoughts right now? Am I thinking about um, how well the Minnesota Vikings are going to do in the football game today? That would, be, that, that would take my peace away. <laughs> Let me tell you. But if I was thinking about Jesus and what he means to me, how I love him, that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing about the prophet all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's who's going to stay. It says in perfect peace, which is complete peace. It's that peace of God. Hebrews said it this way. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your mind on Jesus. Your eyes, the eyes of your heart, your mind. Hebrews used both of those phrases uh, in the, in the uh, epistle of, of the Hebrews. And here we have peace within, trusting God, intentional. That's, that's uh, I want you to see that. Now, um, maybe my favorite verse in the Bible, but you know, that's going to change tomorrow. But anyway, it's uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 4, 6, and 7. Uh, and I've admitted to you that peace evades me quite often. I let myself get all in a bundle about things. Um, but this verse has been great. And it, to- it tells me this is, this is not, this is not the way, uh, this way of worry or, or 
kind of getting anxious about things. This is not the way of God. He, he, this isn't who he is. This is you, Barry, but this isn't who he is. And it says, do not be anxious about anything. You know this verse? But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God in the peace of God. I like that. And so the, the intentionality is when something is troubling in my mind, what do I do? Pray. I pray. What do I, when, I, when I get kind of distracted or I'm concerned about this aspect of my life or, or the kids or, or um, church or whatever, when I get kind of looking sideways on that, I can turn and I can look toward the Lord and pray. Lord, I give you this. I trust you. I'm floundering right now, and I'm releasing it to you. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You've had that happen to you before, haven't you? Where you don't go, wow, this is better than I could ever figure out. Beyond all understanding, fills my heart and my mind, guards me in Christ Jesus. That's That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. So there you go. I want you to know the peace of God, there's intentionality, and, and you leak. <laughs> you leak, and I leak. And other things get our attention. And when other things get our attention, they're bound to leave us kind of in a place of, well, false security, like our, our attention. I have enough money now. Whew, I feel good now. That'll be a false sense of security, or, or my relationships are just right, right now. That isn't really to base your peace on those things is very tenuous because people are fickle and money is fleeting but God is consistent and to be able to go to him and connect with him that now we have the peace of God there you have it and the neat thing about it and and Craig even insinuated this is really the third part is peace with others that's so important. That, that you, you, you begin with that secure um, connection of salvation by faith with God through Christ. And then you see the possibility of living with that, that uh, just contentment and harmony and security that Jesus provides. And now it can spill out. You don't have to prove anything anymore. You don't have to, you're not competitive. You're not in a match. You're not to see how better you can be with the, this coworker or the, the neighbor that's just on your nerves all the time. You don't have to compete with them. You can let that God take care of that. And you can be at peace. You can be the, the one that kind of becomes the stable place in a turbulent world where everybody's going, ooh, ah, ooh. Isn't that? What you want to be? The peacemaker? Isn't that what Jesus called us to be? Isn't that what he was? And so peace with others is this, this um, sense of spilling out or, or what Jesus has done in your heart and in my heart. It, it becomes contagious. It's attractive. It's, it, it, and and we, we go with that. That's it. And I was... Noticing how much I've been concerned about hu- unity and humility in the body here at New Harvest. I mean, I'm concerned about it all over the world, but you're my family. And I'm just, I've, I've just thought about that quite a bit. And I have, um, 
I have a reading schedule I, I share with people, and I had, um, I was, this, a little, little um, what do you call it, uh, uh, advertisement? Anyway, um, in um, this Tuesday, this Tuesday, we're going to read Ephesians uh, 2, verses 1 to 22, the whole chapter and everything. But the one verse that I suggested to take a look at a little bit more deeply was verse 14. And it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has divided the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is just something else because he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And I'm telling you, if that, if that was an issue of racism, I'm telling you, it was intense. And there was animosity to the nth degree. And the, and the Jews had this pride that they were better, and it didn't go well. Well, Jesus came to supersede that. And it was about relationship and about connection with people that aren't like you and aren't like me. And the difference between Jew and Gentile was extreme. Because the importance of unity is on my mind and heart so much these days, I chose this verse. The division between Jews and Gentiles was extreme. The Jew considered all Jews, all non-Jews ceremonial unclean, less than. You ever feel that way about people? They thought of themselves as pure and clean because their national heritage and their religious ceremonies were so much higher, more significant than these lesser Gentiles. Where am I? Oh, here we go. Paul pointed out that Jews and Gentiles alike were unclean before God and needed to be cleansed by Christ. This is still true. But the point that is emphasized is that the Lord has provided unity and oneness for very separated people with divergent ideas and values. And that fits for the environment of our world today, doesn't it? And so... I just think this is one of the key things about this topic of peace to end with is this possibility of being people of peace so much so that it draws people to want what you have also gives you opportunity to be stable in an unstable world as people want to stir up disagreement and um, differences instead of being the person that brings unity and humility to the situation. Try this on. Stephen Covey thought this was a great principle. I'd rather, I'd begin with, I'd begin with, I may be quoting this wrong, I would begin with understanding before being understood. So this is what we get to do because nothing's at at stake for us in our relationship with God. See, we think so much is at stake when we come to relationships with other people. That really, there's a lot at stake. They won't like me, but God likes you. (laughs) And Jesus is is nuts about you. And so the, the, the need for people to feel good about me all the time, which is... uh obviously pops up in my life and our lives for sure, can be lessened because we have this marvelous assurity of Jesus' affection for us, no matter what. Well, there was this fella. uh, he, He was pretty determined. He had lived in his home for a long time, 50 years, and yet there was the, the bank had bought a property near his Uh, residency 
and they really wanted to expand, and they they um, they wanted to buy his property. But he um, he said, no, "I'm not I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm gonna." He so he stuck his heels in the ground. He was a determined ninety year old man, and he lives outside of Dallas. Well, the bank bought up the property around his his uh, land and his house and everything, and they built the bank anyway, and they built the bank in a horseshoe, and the horseshoe of the bank went right around his property, and then the the um, cash the ATM uh, cash machine was 15 feet away from his bedroom, and they would drive in at all hours of the night, and the drive-through. What was he got to look out his kitchen window as people came up to the drive-through all day long, and they lived in this sense of division and angst, and he lived the rest of his life in a intense kind of anger and revenge for the big old bank. I feel that sometimes about our posture towards government. Mm, I'm going to get even. And yet I want us, I want me to be filled with the peace of Jesus and operate in my relationships, no matter what's happening in this world, as a peacemaker. Will you join me? Worship team. I love that the communion meal represents my connection with God. And it would, be not, it would not be possible without what Jesus did for me and for you. And so I invite you to the table to participate in the uh, bread and juice. Bread representing the body of Christ broken for you and me. The cup representing the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can have connection with God or be reminded of my connection with God this morning and how I could never have that connection without His grace at work. And then, as I embrace the remembrance of my faith and my connection to Jesus and what it means to me, may His peace flood my soul And as I'm filled up with his peace again, and I then go out beyond these walls, being a peacemaker wherever I go. Well, two things. First thing is that what you can speak in 2009, you can speak in 2021. (laughs) So... Just so you know, I, people sometimes go, wow, where did you come up with that? It was in the file. <laughs> Praise God. And I love that truth. So that was a privilege. Peace with God. Peace of Jesus. Peace with others. Live that. Live that. And then Brother Steve. You know, I've known Steve a long time. And I know one thing about Steve. When I give him an opportunity to preach... <laughs> You know, it'd have to be a, you know, a flood or a fire or whatever. It would have to be something pretty major to get in the way of him wanting to share what God had put on his heart. So our brother, he's, he's pretty sick. He doesn't know what he's sick with yet, but 
He is very sick, I can tell. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for our brother Steve. Um, Thank you, Lord, for who he is and how he loves you, how he serves our church. And Lord, uh, for his journey right now, he's he's feeling very um, sickly and illness and not sure what and why and just pray you'll bring a ministry of your presence there to comfort and heal and help him Lord in his time of need just as you are so capable of doing so faithful of doing and Lord now we just anticipate moving from this place with full hearts so glad we could be together as your people Lord we could be reminded of your word and your word is unchanging and will is established now and forever. Uh, Lord, uh, your word says that, that um, the, the word of God will never pass away and people are forever. So we want to love people and live by your word. Help us to do that. Thank you, Jesus.